A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad that you've joined us on the program. And you know, the name of the show is Cam and Company. I realize that uh, you've been the one keeping me company for a good little while here. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a minute since we've had a guest on the show, but... We do have a guest today. In fact, we've got a great guest. Chuck Michelle, head of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, joining us here momentarily to talk about the Ninth Circuit's decision in a case called Duncan versus Bonta. This is a case dealing with California's ban on so-called high-capacity magazines, right? So back in the 1990s, California passed a law that said, can't buy a magazine that has more than 10 rounds. That law was challenged, um, unsuccessfully. And a couple of years ago, the state of California revise the law. They had grandfathered in existing owners of magazines back in the 90s. You can't buy any new ones, but if you got a high-capacity magazine, you can keep it, right? And then they changed the law and said, actually, no, you can't do that anymore. If you've legally owned these uh, magazines, now you've got to get rid of them. Uh, you got to hand them over to law enforcement. you got to get them out of the state of California, but you cannot continue to possess this item, because we've now declared that it's illegal. And so that allowed for a new challenge, because now you've got a basically a new law. Uh, and Judge Roger Benitez, St. Benitez, as he is known to many California gun owners, uh, declared that, well, actually, yeah, th- this law violates people's Second Amendment rights. In fact, the original law from the 90s violates people's Second Amendment rights, too. So the whole thing's going away. And for about a week, it was possible for Californians to purchase quote-unquote, large-capacity magazines, ammunition magazines that could hold more than 10 rounds. It is also estimated that during that week, as many as 1 million magazines were lawfully purchased. And then Judge Benitez put in a stay and said, all right, you know what? We're going to continue to enforce basically the 90, I think it was the 94 law with a grandfather clause. So if you've purchased one of these, you don't have to get rid of it, but the state of California can block the sale while this law is being appealed. Now the Ninth Circuit has come out uh, yesterday, and declared, actually, uh, Judge Benitez was wrong. State of California can ban these magazines. Yeah, sure, yeah, people's rights are implicated here, but that's okay, because the state has a really good reason for doing this. I mean, that's basically the logic. Now, here to give us the uh, <laughs> his legal take, as well as to talk about what happens next, Again, I want you to uh, take a look and a listen to my conversation with California Rifle and Pistol Association President and Second Amendment Attorney Chuck Michelle, whose law firm, I mean, he was one of the uh, the folks handling this case. Uh, so he knows very well the ins and outs of the argument and what the Ninth Circuit got so incredibly wrong. Take a look and a listen. Chuck, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's good talking with you, sir. Always be good. Always good to be with you, Cam. All right, so I want to get into this Ninth Circuit decision. Um, I, I was not surprised to see it. I was disappointed to see that the uh, Ninth Circuit uh, upheld California's magazine ban. And I got to say, Chuck, I, really on some some spurious grounds. I mean, we're going to get into what uh, Judge Lawrence Van Dyke had to say in, in his dissent. But in essence, correct me if I'm wrong, the Ninth Circuit basically said, uh, yeah, look, this infringes on, on somebody's right, but uh, not a whole lot. And the state of California, yeah. right. And the state of California has a, a desire to, uh, to 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 save lives and, uh, you know, blocking people from having more than 10 rounds in a magazine 
why that saves lives. And so uh, even though this is a burden on the Second Amendment, that's fine. Right. Because they wouldn't know a burden if it bit them in the butt. They don't shoot. They don't understand what all these regulations do to someone who wants to shoot or who wants to have a gun there to defend their family. They don't understand uh, the 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 interaction between someone who's trying to hurt you and you when you're trying to defend yourself. This is all this whole self-defense notion is was most recently perfectly illustrated in the Rittenhouse case. I mean, they're, they're saying, well, you know, if you don't don't go into a situation where you might need to use self-defense, stay home. And otherwise, you lose your right to self-defense if you enter into a situation where you might need to use it. That, that, they're just clueless when it comes to guns and self-defense. And they are definitely, as Judge Van Dyke said, uh, 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 afraid of guns. They're afraid of guns and gun owners. They don't trust them. And that, that's why we got this. We knew this was coming. The seven to four split was exactly what we predicted. You could tell the judges that were appointed by Democratic presidents and the judges that were appointed by Republican presidents. Uh, and so we, we weren't surprised. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is the number of dissents talking about uh, the, the appropriate standard of review, originalism versus tiers of scrutiny. And the Ninth Circuit just loves this tiers of scrutiny test because they can put their thumb on the scale and change the importance that the state of the issue that of, of the of the uh, public safety issue that the state is trying to preserve versus the infringement on the Second Amendment. They can say anything. Nothing's an infringement as long as you can have one handgun and one bullet. You you've got your Second Amendment right. Everything else can be taken away, and it, it's not an infringement on the Second Amendment. And it's complete crap. But it's it was manufactured. This test was manufactured so as to enable the courts in the Ninth Circuit and other circuits to be able to put their thumbs on the scale, on the intellectual scale, and, and, and twist the case to, to uphold practically anything. Well, and this is why you've had people like Judge Van Dyke uh, say that the Second Amendment is being treated as a second-class right, because uh, this, again, this decision, the Ninth Circuit said, well, intermediate scrutiny, which is that, you know, vague, fuzzy middle ground where if you can, uh, again, show that there's not quite a rational basis for the law, it's, you got to show a little bit more than that. But again, all you have to show is we've got a, a, an interest in public safety. We believe that this law saves lives. And that's good enough for the Ninth Circuit. They don't even have to show or demonstrate that this law is useful as long as they claim that it is. Right. That's enough. And so the right. Ninth Circuit can say, well, I mean, look, the average self-defense uh, gun use, 2.2 rounds are fired. You get to have 10 in California. My goodness gracious. I mean, so so what are you complaining about, gun owners? Uh, never mind that you might not be the average victim of a violent crime. You might be the victim of an extraordinary level of violence. You, you might have multiple or you're not, assailants. Or you're a crappy shot. <laughs> right. or the guy, the guy, people just get hit once and drop. I mean, th th these are the realities of a, of a, of a self-defense situation and having to use your gun to defend yourself, your family. It, it, 10 rounds, is, it, that's 10 little lifesavers. You know, I want more. I don't want to take any chances. I don't want to shift the odds. I don't want to play the odds. I yeah. want to have overwhelming superior self-defense capabilities when me or my family is threatened with, with uh, 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 great bodily harm. So, th th but the Ninth Circuit... Has has set this up this way uh, so that they could uphold anything they want to. This is this is all led by the chief justice. He's you know every time we win in the in the on the three judge panel, 
they rush it to on bonk for review so they can overturn it because the, the court, the Ninth Circuit Court, is still stacked, even though the Trump administration did a good job of evening up the uh, the numbers, it's about 50-50 Republican versus Democratic appointees now, but it was two to one. And so, uh, you know, when we won Peruta, struck down the May issue law in California, uh, the on banc panel was overwhelmingly against us because there's overwhelmingly Democratic appointees. Now it's 50-50, but we still got unlucky in the draw and got seven Dems versus four Republicans. The so four Republicans all get it. They know what they can read Heller. They know what Heller is. They can see what the Democrats have done to construct this artificial uh, uh, mechanism for upholding everything. The most interesting thing about the whole decision, though, is well, the most, I think, important thing, uh, not that striking down these all these kinds of bans is not important, is that there's this uh, big debate about the appropriate standard of review, originalism versus uh, these tiers of scrutiny. And that's something that we've been arguing about for since 2010 uh, and that the courts, lower courts of appeal have set up a false construct, the wrong test, and that it's going to be addressed in um, the New York carry case. Uh, and we'll get a decision in June. That was clearly an issue. What the appropriate standard of review is, is clearly a major issue in the Bruin case. So if that Bruin case comes down and says the appropriate standard of review is originalism, text, history, and tradition, then this whole Ninth Circuit, this whole decision is void because it applied the wrong test. But regardless, we'll be asking the Supreme Court to review this decision specifically, you know, shortly. Okay, so I want to get into that, but I also want to let folks know, so so what is the law right now? I mean, the Ninth Circuit said, yep, this law is fine. Is this magazine ban now fully in effect where people who no, possess? No, 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 it's not. It's still the status quo. The status quo is if you had them before the Prop 63 passed that banned the possession of them, you're still grandfathered in. And and the there was an injunction. There was a, there was a, a stay issued on Benitez, Judge Benitez's original order to strike down the, the uh, uh, possession ban entirely. So. The status quo is you can keep the ones that you have, but you can't buy new ones, but you can still possess those ones that you had. So you're grandfathered okay. in. Nobody, you can't acquire new ones right now, but that's the way it's been ever since the Ninth Circuit took this case. We just want to keep it that way until we get the Supreme Court to weigh in one way or another. Okay. All right. Now, 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 let's now talk that about could this. change. I, I have to add that could change, but people, folks need to sign up to the CRPA uh, uh, website for the bulletins there. We will be putting out daily updates anytime something changes you will get an email from crpa sign up there and you'll stay in touch please don't call we get a, we got about a million phone calls yesterday everybody asking the same question so i'm happy to be answering it but just sign up for the emails we we know people care about this we are making sure that we send out updates anytime anything changes and obviously if you can throw us a couple of bucks we got a big fight now going uh, to the Supreme Court on this. And then there's a couple other cases bottlenecked up behind this ruling that we've got to fight to hold on to too, and a couple other wins. Okay, so 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 let and crpa.org, that is the website. And I would encourage folks to uh, to, to visit, uh, sign up, do what you can to uh, to help out. Um, but but let's talk about the Supreme Court here, because as you say, we've got the Bruin case, that, that oral argument has been held, the decision probably going to come down sometime June or July, uh, early July June. of next year. Uh, you think June. it'll be June? No, it'll be June. The, 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 their session, they, 
Yeah, they always do their big decisions decisions on the last day of the session, and that'll be in June. Okay. All right. So so let's say we've got you know roughly eh, six seven months uh, to go before uh, we get that decision. What happens in terms of the timing of of this appeal? Um, is, is there a chance that the court will have a uh, you know a conference uh, and accept this case before that decision comes down? Talk about the timing of it, if you can. Uh, good, good in the Supreme Court. You mean good yeah. question. Remember, they've got a they've got a uh, they'll schedule it for a conference. Whether they actually have a conference, well, I mean, I should say. They'll probably schedule it. They could just flat out reject it without doing anything, but I don't think they're going to do that. Not when they have all these judges on the Ninth Circuit begging the Supreme Court to weigh in. Uh, but remember, there was also the New Jersey large cap, so-called large cap, 10 plus round mag cap uh, ban case pending. Uh, and it's in the Supreme Court now. It's had a couple conferences. You know, I think the Supreme Court has got a few Second Amendment cases sort of on hold mm-hmm. while they uh, do what they're going to do with the New York carry case. Uh, and they could, they could grant these and hold them and then remand them after the New York carry case comes down for reconsideration. They could do a bunch of different things. Uh, but we'll get, we'll get something to the Supreme court in like within like 14 days. I I can't remember our deadline, but, uh, it's short, uh, but it doesn't have to be the whole brief. Uh, we just have to file the notice. And, and with the Ninth Circuit. So, uh, uh, you know, it's going to happen fairly quickly, um, at least the initial phases to get us postured. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and you're right. I, I had completely forgotten about the uh, New Jersey Magban case. And, and again, I mean, for folks who are kind of wondering, all right, well, then what does the New York carry case have to do with the Magban case? Again, it gets back to that standard of review that we're talking about, right? So the, the In a you know, sense, magazine that's more band- important than any particular law. Law, you know, We won the ammo, the, the ammo background check case we won. We won the, uh, 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 we have a CCW case pending. We have an assault weapon case that's at the front of the line. It's in the Ninth Circuit. And then there's Duncan and there's a, there's a bunch of others. All of them are queued up behind uh, uh, Duncan or Bruin, but all of them, the central core issue is the standard of review. So how, so, you, how you judge the constitutionality of a gun control law. All right. So, well, we've, I mean. yeah. So, we've talked about intermediate scrutiny and how the, the courts have used that to just uphold virtually every gun control law that's been challenged. What about the, you know, the, the other two, I think, options available to the, uh, to the Supreme Court here are, are either strict scrutiny, right? Which is the highest level of judicial review, at least in terms of the tiered scrutiny. And then there's the history, text, and tradition test that we've heard a lot about. I'm, I'm just going to ask you personally, what would you prefer to see the court adopt? Um, text, and text, text, history and tradition, originalism. They got to okay. go with originalism. Although that's not a panacea. That is not like a silver bullet by any stretch of the imagination. They're, they're, we have junk science now, junk empirical science saying uh, ma- magazines that hold over 10 rounds are never used for self-defense. And so you can twist that statistic you know, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. You mm-hmm. can twist statistics to come up with anything you want. And that's one of the things that Judge Van Dyke criticized about the ruling. He says you you make the other uh, uh, judges make stuff that they want to be imp- important, important, and they make stuff that they don't want to be important. They make it unimportant. But, but they're all important. Uh, so that's the games, the intellectual games you can play with this empirical analysis. There's so there's junk science all over the place uh, for trying to support gun control laws. In fact, Bloomberg 
has pumped a ton of money into uh, that. And then when he saw that originalism was coming, he uh, started a bunch of uh, scholarly articles about uh, the history of gun control laws. Because he wants to say, well, all gun control has been uh, accepted for centuries. It's nothing new. It's, you know, we've been banning public carry for years. Yeah, but you've been banning one form or the other, never both. So these are the kinds of distinctions you got to make now for the junk history, as opposed to the junk science that we have with empirical. But I think it's easier to deal with the originalism as a, as a, analytical framework than it is this empirical science because it's just so easy to manipulate the other side. Absolutely. Uh, and you're right. There is lots of junk history out there uh, and, and even, you know, a, a junk current events, as we've seen from our news media. But I, I think that that is a little bit easier to combat. Uh, what, what else do California gunners need to know uh, right now, Chuck, in terms of, of this case and, uh, you know, what, what, what comes next? Well, look, no matter what happens in Duncan, we're going to fight, fight like the I think uh, uh, the third monkey on the rail to Noah's Ark. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're not gonna let this go. But Bruin's gonna come down in our favor, and when it does, if we have to file another challenge to the magazine capacity ban and another challenge to uh, a CCW, because the state won't just roll over on that. When even though New York's is struck down, New York requires a special need, much like California's good cause requirement. Uh, we will we will be going for shall issue in California, and we'll, if we win in New York from the Supreme Court, we'll win in California too. And CRPA has that case at the front of the line in the Ninth Circuit. So you know the, all these things we are fighting on every front. We've got, we're the only uh, uh, GOC Gunners of California and CRPA are the only groups that have full time lobbyists in Sacramento doing what they can in that rigged environment. Uh, we have chapters all over the state of California. Uh, where local folks are being local activists and fighting in local elections and, you know, from dog catcher up to city council. Uh, and we have uh, uh, the, the, the legal team working in court every day in cases all across the state and, frankly, in some other parts of the country uh, because there's precedent now. If you get a good ruling in another state, it applies in California. That's a win for California. Uh, so, you know, between gun shows and all the stupid laws that they've and, and counterproductive and, and ill-conceived and fake promises of safety laws that they've passed, we just we're, we're building up our war chest to take a shot at a lot of those. Well, listen, as soon as, uh, Supreme, Court, as, soon as the Supreme Court says so. So join CRPA, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Uh, and we are going to be following along and uh, covering this uh, as we always have. You guys keep up the fight. CRPA.org. We should also uh, uh, talk about just briefly the uh, Segment Law Center, uh, Chuck, the uh, organization that you and Steve Hallberg have put together, because I know this, again, is another key component uh, in the legal fights for our right to keep and bear arms. Yeah, you know, with the NRA largely on the sidelines due to its financial difficulties, we saw the need for a another uh, organization which we could pull together all the A-team of, of Second Amendment scholars, not just from California, but from across the country, kind of have a brain trust, uh, and also raise money to do lawsuits across the country, whether it's an amicus brief or all the way up to a second to a, a Supreme Court case. And so the Second Amendment Law Center, 2ALC.org, is the vehicle that Steve and I and a number of other folks take a look at the advisory board on there 
Uh, it's the who's who of Second Amendment luminaries from across the country, lawyers from across the country. Um, you know, we're, we're working very hard and CRPA uh, is, is involved in it. So is GOC uh, and a number of other state associations are becoming more involved in the two ALC. So uh, I think it has a lot of promise. Again, there's going to be this huge brawl after the Supreme Court rules in every state that has uh, uh, unconstitutional gun control laws. And uh, we just really need to gear up for it, to build up the, the war chest to be able to fight those fights. We want to drop lawsuits in anticipation of the Supreme Court's positive ruling. We're already preparing the lawsuits. We want to drop them the day the Supreme Court rules. So help us get ready. All right, Chuck Michelle, I know we'll be talking again very soon. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. Always a pleasure, Cam. Thanks. I appreciate uh, Chuck's time joining us on the program today, and we will be following this case very closely as it makes its way up to the Supreme Court. I I'm also kind of curious what the Ninth Circuit is going to do, because Chuck mentioned that there are some other cases out there. Is the Ninth Circuit going to try to get ahead of the Supreme Court, knowing that the court is going to weigh in on the standard of review in the months ahead? So, well, all right, we're going we're gonna to put as many bad decisions out there as possible now. I wouldn't put it past the court, quite honestly. I, in fact, I was curious. I, I wasn't 100% convinced that the Ninth Circuit was actually going to rule on the Duncan case. I, I kind of figured that they would have held it until after the Supreme Court decision in uh, in Bruin, the New York Kerry case, but clearly that didn't happen. So who knows what uh, uh, the Ninth Circuit might have in store to try to gum up the works when it comes to the uh, exercise of our right to keep and bear arms. But we will be paying very close attention to it all, and we'll be letting you know about it just as soon as it happens. Now, let's move on to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, as well as our recidivist report. We will start there. The story out of Volusia County, Florida, where a man on probation for attempted kidnapping has been arrested again, and it wasn't for arrested kidnapping, but Jonathan Buchanan apparently was doing some things that uh, he should not have been doing. So, back in 2017, Buchanan was convicted of an attempted kidnapping. He tried to speak with a 16-year-old girl, and then he covered her mouth with his hand and tried to force her into his car. Victim got away. Buchanan was arrested. Again, apparently, I don't know if he received any prison time, but he's out of the streets now. And according to police, uh, investigators got a call on Monday, last Monday, November 22nd, from a woman who said that a man in a, uh, a car had followed her while she was jogging. She said the man rolled down his window, tried to talk to her as she jogged. He only uh, stopped when the woman made contact with a group of construction workers, and then he took off. So she was able to get the license number. She gave that to police. They found out the car was registered to Buchanan. And then on Sunday, they found out that uh, the same car was seen driving in the area again. Uh, deputies say they were also alerted to a social media post on Monday from a different woman who said that she, too, had been followed by a guy in a car about a half a mile away from the original uh, incident. She never filed a formal report with the sheriff's office, uh, but investigators said, okay, you know what, th th this is enough, we think, to start investigating here. The uh, woman who was followed back on November 22nd was able to identify Buchanan from a lineup. Uh, they're also trying to determine whether or not he may have followed other women. At this point, that is the allegation, that he's been harassing and following them, not that he's been trying to abduct them, but that would still be apparently a violation of his probation. And again, I'm very curious how much prison time, if any, Mr. Buchanan had to serve for the original attempted kidnapping charge. All right, let's talk about today's armed citizen story. 
Uh, this from News Talk KZRG in uh, Joplin, Missouri. Story out of uh, Baxter. I believe this was Baxter Springs. Is that Kansas or Missouri? I think that's Kansas. But uh, in the uh, southeast Missouri, southwest Kansas area here. Uh, this was Monday night. Officers of the uh, Baxter Springs Police Department got a call about a uh, a break-in. And officers revised on the way to the scene that one adult male had been shot. So when officers got there, the first subject they encountered was a guy named uh, Sean James Talent uh, of Baxter Springs. Uh, he was leaving the area, apparently, when officers uh, arrived, and they saw that he was suffering from two gunshot wounds to the thigh and to the leg. So they said, why don't you just... Stop and let us get an ambulance for you, man. You don't have to try to walk away. Uh, the occupants of the home then came outside once police were there. Uh, voluntarily, they you know came out, started talking to officers. Uh, detectives conducted interviews with uh, uh, the folks inside the home. And the, uh, the story that emerged is basically that the occupants uh, were in their home when talent broke in and assaulted them. Uh, the uh, couple said that there were also two juveniles in the home at the time of the home invasion. The uh, family apparently barricaded themselves and the children in a bedroom. And then when Talent continued towards them, uh, one of the victims fired several shots, striking the man twice. One in the thigh, again, another uh, in the calf. Um, Sean James Talent Jr. is now in charge of aggravated burglary, aggravated assault, and criminal damage to property. The uh, homeowners are not expected to face any charges because it looks like uh, they were acting in self-defense. And finally today, our good deed of the day. Which is a good deed, but it's also really disturbing. Uh, it comes from Louisville, Kentucky. Ivan Sample is a corrections officer. He works there at the uh, the, the Metro Jail in Louisville. And there was a story from uh, WDRB. Louisville jail officer helps saves the live uh, help help save. Try that again. Louisville jail officer helps save lives of multiple inmates. The life-saving measures that Sample took, though, inside a jail are really disturbing. Uh, Sample's been there for about five years. He says he's encountered several emergencies uh, over the time. In fact, several emergencies during just one of his shifts last week. He said, it's always in the back of my head, but I just don't pay any attention if there's any type of emergency. I'm going up in there regardless. So the incident started, he said, when two inmates overdosed in a, quote, dorm. I would call it a cell, but I guess we're being touchy-feely now. He said the inmates were unresponsive, so he had to perform CPR and use Narcan on both of the inmates. He said it was uh, about a good 10 or 15 minutes before we got one of them back. At the same time, another officer working on the other inmate who had overdosed, Sample said this particular one didn't even have a pulse. He was blue around the lips. As I'm doing CPR, I'm telling this individual, you're not going to die, you're not going to die, not on my shift, not in this jail. Both inmates eventually started breathing again. They were rushed to the hospital. Before uh, Sample really had time to process what was going on, he says there was another emergency. An inmate had used a sheet to hang himself. And he said, once we got to the door, we saw the inmate hanging. Our training just kicked in. I told the one officer, I'm going to hold him up to take the pressure off his neck. You ripped it down. That inmate survived as well. Uh, Daniel Johnson, president of the Louisville Corrections FOP Lodge 77, said when he was looking at the incident reports that night, he said, I happened to notice that these were back-to-back, -back, about an hour apart, same floor. He said it was almost like a red flag to me. And so he reached out to Ivan Sample, and he learned that there were even more incidents. He said uh, 
I reached out. I said, hey, what's going on? You doing all right? And then I found out he's actually now saved five people in the last two weeks with critical incidents. Sample is going to be honored by the Louisville Metro Council next month, which I think is great. What's amazing to me is that this entire news story just kind of, you know, sees nothing extraordinary with the fact that there are inmates who are overdosing on opioids, either fentanyl or heroin, in the jail, inside the jail. And again, it sounds like this, well, you know what, I I don't want to assume. But the sort of blithe response to this fact from the local media, and even from the corrections officers themselves, like, yeah, these incidents happen, but like, nobody's saying, what the hell? How are people bringing fentanyl into the jail? I mean, I guess we know how, right? I don't know if it's time to up the full body cavity searches or what here, but uh, here's the thing, man. If we can't keep fentanyl, and heroin out of a jail, given all of the drug laws that we have on the books, given all of the security procedures that we have in a jail. Please tell me how another gun control law is going to stop a violent criminal from committing a crime. I can't figure that one out. I mean, again, if we can't keep fentanyl from being brought into a jail, I don't think that universal background check laws are going to do much to stop someone with evil intent from committing a violent crime. But I am glad that uh, Corrections Officer Ivan Sample is on the job, willing to help out. But damn, I hope that Louisville's got a lot of, they got a lot of issues there in Louisville. But the security of the jail would seem to be a big one that hopefully will get addressed very soon. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Thank you for being a part of the program as always. If you like what you see, don't forget to check out BearingArms.com, the website where you can find even more Second Amendment news and information. You can also become a VIP subscriber. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe, oddly enough. Uh, Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a substantial discount on your VIP membership. And uh, for our way of saying thanks, you're going to get exclusive commentary, news stories, analysis you won't find anywhere else. Uh, and your support really does help us do this program each and every day. We're going to be bringing you coverage from uh, the uh, 2022 SHOT Show here in a couple of months. I'm looking forward to that and uh, uh, other great things uh, in the months ahead. Oh, I also, I probably should have like done this at the beginning of the show, but I'm if you watch this show on a regular basis, you know by now I'm pretty awful about self-promotion. <laughs> It's just not my thing. I've got a healthy ego, like everybody who talks into a camera for a living. But uh, the self-promotion stuff, man, I just I, I just, I haven't figured out a way to do it without feeling just slimy. But I would like to thank the Second Amendment Foundation uh, and the uh, organizers of the Gun Rights Policy Conference uh, because I learned yesterday that I was named the uh, 2021 Ray Carter Blogger of the Year by the uh, Gun Rights Policy Conference. And, um, you know, we did, we had this online this year, the Gun Rights Policy Conference. I was honored to be an attendee and a speaker, uh, truly honored to receive the uh, Ray Carter Blogger of the Year Award. I'd like to uh, also congratulate Stephen Gutowski, who was named the uh, Journalist of the Year at the Gun Rights Policy Conference. Uh, th- this, this means a lot. Uh, you know, blogging was not really my first 
thing. I started out in television and quickly moved to radio and, and loved radio and became an online broadcaster. And the, the writing has always been sort of a, uh, a, a side project at best for me uh, until the last couple of years. So to, to get a, an award like this, it really does mean a lot. So thank you very much to the Second Amendment Foundation. Thank you to the Gun Rights Policy Conference. Uh, thank you to each and every one of you who tune in each day and who uh, uh, click on the stories at barryandarms.com. I really appreciate your support as well. Looking forward to talking to you again tomorrow. Until then, though, be well, be safe, and be free. 